Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. This episode is sponsored by Rimmel Greenhouse Systems, makers of quality greenhouse structures. Whether you're just getting started or buying your 10th tunnel, Rimmel has a structure to fit your needs. I've purchased and grown in Rimmel houses and would recommend them to everyone. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with yet another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And today my guest is Dr. Tammy Grace Steele, who is the founder, CEO of National Women in Agriculture Association, the largest nonprofit women in agriculture organization in the world. She's an agriculturalist, entrepreneur, strategic business developer, educator, and civil rights for women and children's advocate. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So give us a little bit of your background. Did you grow up uh, on a farm? I did. I actually grew up on a farm that came from the original 40 acres and a mule Emancipation Proclamation Act. Okay. Uh, currently, my family still run beef cattle in the southeastern part of Oklahoma, which is called Sasakwa, Oklahoma. Okay. Um, and what, and so that was just the, when, when you were growing up, did you do any other crops or was it just uh, cattle at that point? Um, no, definitely vegetable crop as we mm-hmm. call it row crops that, I mean, from all type of vegetables, a full flesh farm, raised chickens, and, mm-hmm. you know, for eggs and pigs and all, it was just, it's still pretty much a full flesh farm. We don't do as many crops because, mm-hmm. you know, people died off and, a lot of the family has moved away, but my uncle still maintained the farm, the original 40 acres. Yeah. Yeah. Well, back in the, you know, a couple of decades ago, it was a lot more common to have, you know, that wide variety of crops on the farm. Uh-huh. Um, and now it's just, uh, yeah, ag, um, industrial ag has taken over. So what was the next step after, I think you headed to New York City? I did. I did. After my um, secondary education, going to college at Oklahoma University and just not really still um, feeling that I was accomplished or not accomplished enough in my life in my early 20s. I, I did. I moved to New York City and I worked there on Wall Street and attended NYU Law School. I have a legal degree. I'm not an attorney. I'm more of a, a legal analyst, as they like to call me now. Mm-hmm. Um, and work, like I said, at Wall Street for a Jewish law firm. And I was groomed diligently and carefully by the, some of the best attorneys there on Wall Street, how to conduct business, um, being an Afro-American woman. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about that. Was that, you know, did you feel like there was like a, a shell you had to break or ceiling you had to break as you were kind of working through that? Oh, of course. Um, being from the rural Oklahoma area, um, it was culture shock, literally and figuratively, mm. for my body. Mm-hmm. I went through from walking on concrete, where I was used to, you know, being in a car and to the house and vice versa. Mm-hmm. But um, there, my body went through a culture shock as well as a language barrier. I was mm. not, you know, I was a country girl, so yeah. seeing people like myself with the same skin color that I had speaking Spanish, it was like, who are they? And it was like on another planet. 
Yeah. But, um, and also to understand the dialect when talking to people on the phone at the law firm and just, you know, conducting business. But part of the training tool that the attorneys um, gave me, they let me begin to read deposition transcripts at jury trials. Mm. So I was able to learn how to, you know, read, articulate, not learn how to read, but, you know, articulate and be able to relate and um, be able to communicate effectively to the jurors, if you will. Yeah. Uh, And that was part of my training. I look back now, like they were grooming me and polishing me how to properly uh, be an urban city Wall Street girl. (laughs) Yeah. So how long were you in New York City for? I was there for five years almost. And I met my husband on a visit back here in Oklahoma, you know, and I couldn't convince him to move to New York. Shock, shock. (laughs) Um, So it was an easy move for me to move back home to Oklahoma. And that's how I came back. um, And what got you back into agriculture? Well, again, being bored in Oklahoma, um, I was working for law firms here as well as then I transitioned and started working for the energy company in their legal department uh, doing contract gas and oil mm-hmm. um, well, and working on contracts and things of that nature. But I started to volunteer at uh, agriculture conferences for the uh, National Black Farmers Association. That's I started kind of under them, you know, just taking care of their paperwork, making sure people were registered at the conferences, um, just making sure everybody got in, you know, just usual conference coordination. And I noticed at the conference that there were women there, but, you know, the majority were men and they were doing all the talking and all these different things that needed to be done when working with the USDA. Mm. Um, And I saw that women were there with them, but they didn't have a voice and they were just basically kind of like a, a bowel cabinet, if you will, the husband would just hand them the paper and they were just mm. quiet. Yeah. And they didn't have any input as far as when it was open dialogue, the, the women, the woman farmer, if you will, from the farm just didn't have a voice. Yeah. So um, I approached my, um, actually it was my supervisor who was an attorney from Texas that was working in the oil and gas industry there at the energy company and told him my idea to open something or start an organization for women and yeah. specifically women of color, because I felt that, you know, it was as if we didn't even exist. And actually the USDA didn't even start counting black women farmers, if you will, until our organization was founded. I mean, like, wow. it was like, we weren't even on earth. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Talk a little bit about, because you've been on um, National Turf too. Um, you've done some USDA SARE Advisory Council. Talk about that. And that was also dealing with the actual statistical service count. I sat on the uh, National Agriculture Statistics Service Board uh, Advisory okay. Council. And what that consisted of is also helping bring awareness or getting a head count of minority women farmers, not just black farmers, but women farmers across the nation, as well as um, being involved in some of the, the stock market or the opening trading that comes out of Chicago. I've been involved in some of those lock ins and things like that in Washington, DC, where I had input about, you know, things that were happening to our crops and the cost. 
Yeah. Now, did that happen after you started the association? Yes, most definitely. Okay, gotcha. So uh, you started the association, and then a lot of these things came up out of that as you started to get your voice out there and share the uh, the mission. Correct. Gotcha. Um, talk us through a little bit about, you know, you mentioned one right there that women just don't have a voice. Talk us through about some of the challenges women face in agriculture. And then, you know, obviously specifically to more of the you know, women of color. I give a good example uh, myself being a, you know, pretty established, I, I would say accomplished woman in agriculture. Um, I was named one of the four women, top women during the Obama administration in the country, they had an event and I represented this part of the country um, and as being the only black woman uh, in, in agriculture on the tier that we are, because we are organization, there are several women in agriculture conferences every day across the country. However, our organization goes a little bit personal and more deeper to bring the numbers, if you will, because most minorities do not have the educational background or the social economic assistance or capacity, that's the correct word, capacity mm -hmm. to assist them in the agriculture industry. To Because um, our organization is basically set for outreaching and helping with technical services. That's from reading a document, understanding it, and, um, you know, gaining the trust for them to execute it, to participate in USDA programs. And that's how we leverage our grants or what have you. But we have further noticed that as a woman and a woman of color, you still have challenges on both sides. When I say that, um, being, dealing with men and men of color, uh, we get a lot of pushback, like stay in your place. Mm, <laughs> and yeah. then white Caucasian women, um, uh, and black women, we have that stay in your place. This, you know, you have enough money, you've gotten these little grants, so you need to be happy. And I literally have people say that and leaders say that to me, well, you got this amount of money, um, so you should be okay. But I am of that mindset that we are trying to become a pilot program to 4-H for at-risk youth um, mm. to receive sustainable funding. And what that would look like, because since 1914, under the Smith-Lever Act, my research and my fact check by PR firms in Washington, D.C. and Atlanta, they have confirmed that I, my, my findings are correct and that they are not, there has never been a Black congressional chartered organization to receive sustainable funding. Mm. Yeah, it's deep. Yeah. So and sustainable that, sustainable funding is funding like year after year that's kind of like built into exactly. the budget. Exactly. It's automatically allocated through Congress uh, every year that Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, United Way, 4H, FFA, all of those and several, several others. I have the list because my PR firm that partners with me did further research and pulled all the congressional chartered organizations. And not one is a black congressional chartered organization. And that in itself, I guess, again, we get put in our place that, you know, don't go down that road. Uh, although it, the money is there, I am blessed yeah. enough to work with good Caucasian men leaders from both sides of the aisle. When I say yeah. that Republicans and Democrats that believe in what 
Mm-hmm. You know, they want to go down in history because they understand business and they understand this whole equity and inclusion thing that yeah. this whole administration talks about. And our findings and our request to become chartered, the first Black congressional chartered organization, as well um, as receiving this funding to become a pilot program to 4-H. Yeah. Yeah. They're on well, board with it. They're like, yeah. wow, this is exactly what our country needs to help with the, you know, crime to help with food desert issues, to help as a recruiting agent for colleges. You're developing good people. You're increasing the black farmers count, if you will. Um, You know, women, we did it. And and me as an Afro-American woman, I guess it just kind of blows their minds that it happened and uh, and God gave it to me. Mm -hmm. I (laughs) actually didn't know that all these organizations you mentioned had federal charters. It just shows you- And, and I feel like I'm someone who's a little bit more, uh, you know, versed in some politics than the average person. Um, I serve actually locally on our city council. So, um, but I, I did not know. Wow. That blows my mind. It's deep. It's deep. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, and you look at the kind of work you're doing and like, why can't, you know, why, why can't. Yeah. And we yeah. are blessed to be endorsed by the largest agriculture lobbying organization that lobbies at the White House for farmers and agriculture, they have endorsed us. Yeah. And that, of course, they're a Caucasian organization. Um, my uncle is probably one of the only Afro-Americans that sit on the board with them uh, that uh, advisory council, if you will, that's where he sits. But they, they blessed our organization with an in writing saying, Timmy, yes, we endorse what you're doing. Yeah. And there's money in the Smith-Lieber Act for, to, to, for you as well, for you all, mm-hmm. because, mm-hmm. you know, that money is already allocated and has been since 1914. And part of that 50 million comes out approximately, this is approximate numbers, but I have it in writing from leadership also, where the money has, comes from Congress, goes to a specific agency at the USDA, and then it's dispersed to the land-grant universities. And the land-grant universities, in essence, then gives a portion to like 4-H and different programs that is administered through their uh, extension agencies, which all of these things are not still in the black communities. Um, They're Mm -hmm. they're not at the grassroots level. And they say, how do I know? I've been almost all over the America and all these title one schools um, headquarters sits in the heart of minority food desert, uh, the lowest one of the lowest um, academic scorings in the country. And I know for a fact, they're not here. Uh, yeah. Those programs like 4-H and FFA, I mean, I've taken our children t- to programs that, you know, I would never put them in those positions again because I felt it belittled them because they were like mm. the little black children sitting on the side and, you know, all the wonderful 4-Hers and FFAers, you know, were at this ceremony, which was beautiful. I mm-hmm. love that program. That's the program that needs to be in. And I plan to adopt their curriculum. Mm-hmm. But of course, putting some culture specific innovations on it, if mm-hmm. you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you're, what you're telling me is that a lot of those organizations don't have chapters or don't have clubs or in these, uh, these schools. That are no, not at all. No, no. Wow. Our children has never even heard of these programs. Grown-ups haven't heard of it. You know, you have inner city and even in our rural areas, like I know for for a fact in a um, rural areas where I'm from, those programs are no longer there because of budgeting. And and it just shouldn't be in this day and time 
that, you know, you have big corporations that something that just happened that blew all our minds that are receiving big um, uh, fundings from the Biden administration. But then you have children that who can become true sustainable agriculture leaders and produce food for our country and become scientists and doctors and lawyers. They don't get the opportunity because you have the big corporations of people that pretty much should be retired mm -hmm. off yeah. the grid, you know, yeah. like be mentoring someone. Yeah. Well, I don't know why we're just forgiving past college debt. Why don't we have some of these kids get some of that money so they can, exactly. you know, can go to an agricultural school. I mean, I'm not saying a four-year deg uh, college degree is for everyone. I think a lot of people don't need that because I think there's exactly. a lot of other, but these trade schools, these, you know, learning how to farm with these, you know, going to, you know, apprentice on some other farms. I think that could be a great use to allow these, these kids, which are again, stuck in this vicious cycle in this inner city yeah. that just don't have that chance to get out. Um, yeah, absolutely. Their, wow. their, their cycle is to go to school if they go and if they finish and then learn how to hustle money to either become a rapper or a, um, and if they make it past high school to be an athlete or, you know, a hairdress, you know, all the things that are not sustainable. Mm. Those are not true foundations for our children. No. And I don't know why um, leadership um, have allowed for so many years this to take place. And that's the reason you have the high, high incarceration and deaths in the mm -hmm. minority communities, because they are all taught superficial um characteristics of life you know that is not yeah. a foundation so they yeah. are totally lost when they can't drive a car they can't wear certain hair they can't wear a lash they can't wear you know all the things that are superficial or clothing yeah. designer clothing then they go try to steal it or beat their way through it. and when that happens death or incarceration mm -hmm. and that's how it happens mm -hmm. yeah wow that's heavy yeah. stuff <laughs> yeah, it's some heavy stuff, but I am, I have to say, I am very, very fortunate. There are leaders in the USDA that are taking the time and working with some congressional leaders and others um, to assist us to try to get this bill introduced. This Congress, I've been told, they're trying to get it across the line, you know, by November or even like meet with the White House, the mm -hmm. president and advisory policy council at the White House to see what black women farmers have done mm -hmm. over 15 years almost. Yeah. Hey, Thriving Farmers, each year we are faced with two important investment decisions. We should be investing in systems that increase productivity and in inputs that develop soil. In December of 2020, I was introduced to a seed, soil, and foliar prebiotic treatment. This product is called Ultra. Ultra is an OMRI-listed prebiotic formula manufactured by AgriGrow. I have personally been running several trials testing Ultra on my farm. I'm impressed. Ultra increased our strawberry yield production by 18%. On a 900 square foot trial, $6 in product cost returned me $868 worth of marketable strawberries. We also had decade old heirloom corn seed that I've been trying to germinate with no success. In a Hail Mary attempt with my remaining few seeds, I soaked them overnight in a diluted solution of Ultra. They germinated. If you would like to try Ultra or any other agrigo product, I believe this would be a worthwhile investment on your farm. Here's the best news yet. 
AgriGrow has agreed to offer a 10% discount to all thriving farmer listeners. Simply use the coupon code THRIVE when you check out. Again, that is T-H-R-I-V-E for a 10% off discount on your first order. Head to smallfarm.solutions to order today. Talk to us a little bit about the Minority Women Farmers Equality Inclusion Act. That's what it is. That's the act that, again, um, I started, well, we were brought to the congressional table by the former chairman, Mike Conway. He was the agriculture chairman. Mr. Conway is a man and a leader that I think should be president because he lives what he believes and what he goes to church. You know, all the things that I think that God puts in everyone, but he chooses to utilize it to be fair. Mm -hmm. Um, Long story short, he came to our conference in Michigan back in 2013. Um, We sent out, we do our announcement of a conference, our symposium, as we call it, because we like to soften it for the women. Uh Our annual symposium we had in Detroit, Michigan, and we sent out the notice to all congressional leaders, to everyone we could think of, you know, on the Hill. And imagine that the chairman of the agriculture committee responded, not him, but his staff. Yeah. And he came himself wow. in person. He didn't send yeah. staff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He showed you know, up. I, and I'm talking about even people in that state or leaders in that state, they sent staff. They didn't. Yeah. But Mr. Conway, who's from Texas, he came in person. So that was a big deal. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Yeah. And he's that's awesome. Yeah. 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 He's crossing all sorts of boundaries. (laughs) Yeah, Um, exactly. Exactly. And that's when I say, and I always give him many, many shout outs because he's still with us. Mm. Um, if you go out to our website, you would see a video of he and ranking member Glenn Thompson out yep. of Pennsylvania. Again, I'm not in their district. I'm in the Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, but and, and then we've reached out to other congressional leaders in the other party. I'm not either party. So go figure. Yeah. So but point being is this how, you know, leaders are real. We reach out to some of the um, leaders that look like myself. I have the same skin color. And they say, you know what? You're not in my district. Uh, and I'm like, I, I so yeah. we get this a lot. And I'm like, what does that have to do with you being the Congress member of the United States to help bring about a change for our equity and inclusion for everyone? Mm-hmm. But that's not my place to even go there. But these are the issues that causes things not to happen. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned uh, you mentioned your website. What is that website so folks can go navigate there? It is nwiaa.org. That's for National Women in Agriculture Association. So N as in Nancy, W as in Window, I as in Inc. Yeah. Um, AA, Apple, Apple. Okay. All right. Yep. And, got it. Yeah. So in there also, please have them sign our petition because we do have a petition with over 3,000 names. We're trying to reach the 5,000 name mark by the end of this month Okay. and going into the new year of October 1 um, to have those 5,000 names on a, a petition for this bill or this Equity and Inclusion Act of ours. Yeah. So this, so if they scroll down the homepage a little bit, it's a picture of uh, a student holding a I stand with Dr. Steele sign here petition. Yep. Okay. That's on the right. I'm going to do that right now. Um, 
Share with us, what's the most rewarding part of your job? Children. Um, being able to provide these, these opportunities to children. The most rewarding is that I feel that what we're doing and what we have done, we are now 64 chapters nationwide. We are the largest nonprofit minority organization in the world. Mm. Uh, when I reason world, because we have 14 chapters in Africa, we're mm -hmm. opening up one in um, Thailand, Greece, and Vietnam. So again, all of our movements, working with women, women and children go together. Mm -hmm. So what we try to do is get our women in positions to be chapter leaders or community leaders, however, even from their own farms, but get those fundings in there to their areas so they could educate and reach other farmers, but specifically children, underserved children, to get them um, at an early age, like we like to call them our bumblebees and butterflies. That's our young people, six mm -hmm. years old. Or we even have like an agriculture childcare here. We start them as early as six weeks old and they go through our programs all the way up until 12. They become hip hop producers or junior agri-diva education, Jades. Okay. And then we, we get them grown up teaching them, you know, the foundations of growing food and staying consistent and just being good people, you know, all the life skills, being nice people and basically teaching them how to be consistent because that is the issue in underserved communities uh, with people. It, and doing that through agriculture and growing food and taking care of animals and things like that, they get to see what they are able to develop and bring to the whole eco or humanitarian system, if you will, mm -hmm. that they are so important to help this earth be a better place. and. That's the most rewarding to me is to, to, to help develop good people, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and when I walk away and see success stories with children that go on to college or to military or to a trade school, or they start their own gardens in their backyard. I have children that come through our program that still about stop by and see me mm -hmm. um, at the academy and they literally are doing gardens in their backyards. Um, that in itself, and they're not college students, but they're working jobs consistently because they came through my program. So that means a lot to me that, you know, I saved some kids from being incarcerated or, you know, worse death. Mm -hmm. That happens a lot in underserved communities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if I don't have the resources, I can't reach them. Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's the issue. And all we're asking is to be a pilot program to 4-H and FFA who are Minority Women and Children Equity and Inclusion Act that was literally named, entitled, it, it's in draft and all that good stuff back in 2013. And here we are in getting ready wow. to come up on 2023. And yeah. this administration, that's all they talk about, right? Equity mm -hmm. and inclusion. And our, that's what our bill says. So if they want to do it, they will do it in this administration. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Period. <laughs> it's not that hard. Yes, yes. How much money is it actually when, when, if that was the workout, how much money would that give you? Um, currently, the, the way it's, it happens, and I have it in black and white from the um, USD agency or uh, leader that is over the program, 50 million comes out every year, approximately is set aside mm -hmm. for youth programs for 4-H, um, where we're saying, why can't we have the same for our children? Wait a minute, and wait not a minute. touching their money, not touching, because again, 
I say this and I mean it from my heart, 4-H and FFA are the best youth programs I have ever seen. When I say that, even I can go far as even Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts can't stand up to those programs because they teach real life. My wife went through 4-H. She did a number of years in 4-H and she talks, you know, frequently about how it was such a good experience for her confidence, for, you know, just learning how to interact with their kids. Um, so yeah, she speaks very highly of that and, and, the, and the judging, I think she had rabbits and then she had goats and yes! sheep. So yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah. 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 And, and you know, you go here to Oklahoma to our state fair that I think it just opened this week. Um, you know, you go to the livestock shows and I do it purposely sometimes, but I just, I'm a country girl. Yeah. So I'm going to always go to ag stuff. Yeah. And when I, it, it saddens my heart when I don't see any brown children out there mm. participating, you know, mm-hmm. that, that to me in itself, it shows that something is wrong in our system that mm-hmm. we don't even have offered those programs. And you said, well, Tammy, why didn't you join or try to become part of them? I did that. Mm. And the way it's structured, I, you know, went through all the trainings, took my staff, it was at least eight of us that I took to try to get us, you know, under the charter or what have you. But the way it's structured, the funding just doesn't trickle, trickle all the way down. It's no one's fault. It's the way their structure is. And, you know, you have to volunteer and all that. But we're minorities, poor minorities. We can't volunteer those type hours. You know, I have to make sure the lights stay on here to keep mm. people having jobs. Um, even if I go out and ask parents to come, they can't because they're trying to keep their lights on at home and raise Mm. children. Those are not, so we just want to be a pilot program and offer these same opportunities to all children. It's not one set that deserve to have those opportunities. All children deserve opportunities in agriculture. And it's that simple. Yeah, because a lot of these, these uh, most schools are mixed. So you're going to have yes. all sorts of kids there anyway, but it's just, it's it's this whole swath of schools that are not being represented because of the income gap. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. That's all it is. It's economics. That's yeah. all it is. And socioeconomic yeah. issues should not determine yeah. the, the health or well-being of a child. I, I just no. think that is so inhumane, if you will, and poor, poor leadership. <laughs> Did you say 50 million goes to, just to 4-H? Yes. It's 300 million total that comes out from the Smith-Lever Act. Yeah. That, I think, that is allocated to, well, I know it is, it's allocated to land-grant universities. Those mm-hmm. are agriculture colleges. The 1862s primarily are the colleges that receive those fundings through the 1914 Smith-Lever Act. You could Google it. It's all public record. Um, So 300 million every year comes through Congress and it's been coming through there since 1914. And yeah, and 50 million of that approximately, it may be more or less or what have you, but approximately 50 million, and all this is in writing, is allocated to 4-H for youth programs, which again is administered by the land-grant universities, mm-hmm. or they do it as a solicitation, you know, to make it look fair through grant programs. Um, but if you're not a 4-H program, you don't get the money. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, gotcha. but they have yeah. to announce it through grant solicitation yeah. to make it all, you know, in compliance, yeah. if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I know how those compliance things work, so. <laughs> <laughs> there are all type of little, um, yeah, you know, caveats, if you will, that goes with that. And, and, you know, I don't feel like I'm asking or doing anything to 
you know, cut into someone else's funding. I just want, and, and, but because I've done the research, it's been told to me by the White House um, advocate firm that the money is there, Tammy, for what you want to do without even touching the other yeah. their 50 million. It's there. It's just that you need um, basically Democrat support. <laughs> and because I have Republican support. Yeah. But this, this sounds like to me that this is something Democrats would jump all over. You would think, right? But again, I am very, very fortunate. This administration, I do have to say, I do have possibly a Democrat leader. We had one before, but he died that was sponsoring mm. us um, yeah. on the Hill. Um, Hastings, Mr. Hastings out yes. of Florida. Yeah, He was championing us, you know, like really on this, him and his staff. And of course, you know, sickness came and that kind of went for a couple of years. And then COVID came. So we were just kind of stuck. Yeah. for almost three years. But now uh, we do have, and I'm not at liberty right now to release her name because she hadn't totally committed. I mean, when I say commit, it's not in writing yet yeah. for her. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I'm talking very closely with her office and they pretty much assured that they are going to try to make sure this thing gets across in this Congress. So I'm really excited. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. Very cool. Well, yeah, yeah I'm hoping that it happens. Absolutely. I did so. I did so. Then All I right. could um, start working on my true retirement, right? I could start <laughs> stepping down the hand yes. over the torch, and I plan to go to do some consulting. I want to, you know, help orphanages in, you know, poor third world countries in agriculture. That's my goal. Mm, mm, that's yeah. awesome. Well, um, so exciting to hear about this. Um, what can people do besides signing the petition? So again, they want to go to your website, which is nwiaa.org, um, yes. sign the petition. What else can they do to get involved? They could actually get their congressional member from either side, Republicans or Democrats, because as you can see, again, on our yep. website, if you scroll down far enough, you would be able to see that we have Republicans that support us on this also. But we need many congressional leaders to give us a letter of support to say that they will help, you know, co-sponsor this thing mm -hmm. and, and get this thing um, submitted and attached to a bill. How whatever they do, I don't know all the political stuff that they do. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I think that it would help our world be a better place if we get all Congress members on board with this and get it passed before November. So mm -hmm. a letter, and it could literally, you could email it to myself um, here at womeninag at gmail.com. That's W-O-M-E-N-I-N-A-G at gmail.com. That letter could come to us, or you could always, like I said, come through our website, join our organization. Um, members, there are always, we always have opportunities for everyone to be um, highlighted and resources. We connect you to resources. There are several ways you could help. Mm -hmm. Prayer is the best. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, thank you again so much for coming on today. I'm uh, checking out your website here. You guys done a great job laying that all out. Um, final you. question, Soil Sisters. Talk about the Soil Sisters project. Soil Sisters. Oh, that's just another little innovative thing that we do uh, or say, uh, things that we do to like really um, connect with all women because mm -hmm. all of us women of all races, we are very diverse. If you go out to our website and click into our states, you would see we have all women. Mm -hmm. The women that join us that are not 
um, that, that don't look like me. You know, those are just women that have hearts and want to help the community. They are all humanitarians. So mm-hmm. we call ourselves soil sisters because we like to get in the soil and grow food. That's all, mm-hmm. on every level. Even if you're working with cattle or, you know, livestock of any kind, you're still working with the soil. So we call ourselves soil sisters instead of soul sisters. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Tammy. Appreciate what you are doing. Um, thank you for having yeah, me. Yeah, it's a uh, very important work. And um, uh, yeah, we wish that this hopefully gets across the finish line and we will absolutely send out the information to our email list. Hopefully you can thank get you. a few thousand signatures from that. So. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. This episode is sponsored by Rimmel Greenhouse Systems, makers of quality greenhouse structures. Whether you're just getting started or buying your 10th tunnel, Rimmel has a structure to fit your needs. I've purchased and grown in Rimmel houses and would recommend them to everyone. So there you have it, another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer Podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.